Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 325 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is now officially Sunday. It's Halloween as I record this. But more importantly, the Atlanta Braves are one step closer to a potential World Series victory than I'll lead the Houston Astros 3-1 to one through four games. And I am joined by Eric Cole to discuss everything from game four. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm stressed. <laughs> I'm through the first three games, I honestly was completely fine. Like, you know, like, you know, win or lose, it just felt like the, it, it, I, there wasn't a lot of stress associated with those games for me. Even like the one last night where it was a really close game, you know, just, I, I, for whatever reason, I just wasn't super, you know, kind of amped up about it or not, maybe not amped up is probably not the way I'd think about it, but I wasn't like, you know, like actively anxious, but this game felt like, one of those games in the Dodgers series where just like every bet mattered so much and things could have gone sideways so many times. And uh, yeah, I'm not sleeping anytime soon. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I know we're, we're kind of tired at this point. We've <laughs> lots of, lots, lots of these late nights, but uh, I'm both gassed and jacked up at the same time, which is like hard to, hard to express on a podcast, but it's true. Um, you know, yeah, slow sports day for you. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot happened today. Uh, that's okay. We'll leave that Go all behind. Blue. Go Just, blue. No, no. Go let's not blue. do. Let's, let's not do that to sink my mood on, on this evening. Uh, we're gonna be very, very happy tonight. Uh, I'm, I've decided to be happy this evening. Uh, and listen, we'll get into everything from this game. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. Uh, what we usually do on these post game podcasts is talk about all the ins and outs. We'll still do that on the show, but at the top, I have to say uh, the Braves are now seven and zero at home in the playoffs. Truist Park has been a madhouse. Uh, as, so is the, so the battery tonight. Everything's been crazy. The atmosphere, they're dominating yep. in that home building. And there's, you know, obviously the heroes of the night are three people, really pretty clearly. It's Dansby Swanson, it's Jorge Soler, and it's Kyle Wright in some order. Um, and, you know, Wright holding the ship down, keeping the lead where, sorry, the deficit where it was. And then Dansby Swanson and Jorge Soler going back-to-back in the seventh to turn a deficit into a lead in exactly two batters, and by the way, that's the first time in the history of the Braves, and they've been in the World Series a lot, that they uh, went back-to-back in a World Series, and also the first time for any team to hit a game-tying and a go-ahead home run on back-to-back plate appearances in the World Series since 1981. Uh, I mean, there's stats galore, but I think pretty clearly those three those three gentlemen, uh, I guess plus Eddie Rosario with an honorable mention for the ridiculous catch that he made, uh, are the heroes of the night. Uh, yeah, that's that seems pretty fair. I mean, like the bullpen in general is just like every night they're heroes, right? I mean, like 
we can, we'd almost start to take them for granted. I mean, like Matt night shifts ready, made. baby. Night shifts ready. Yeah, night. What a line. <laughs> What a line. The instant Matzik said that last night, and I'm like, well, that's going to sell 100,000 t-shirts. <laughs> like, immediately, I was like, well, that's, yeah, that's going to make someone a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I mean, the bullpen's just been lights out, and, you know, once they've been getting involved, particularly those four guys, I, I know that Luke's been maligned from, you know, his work in the Dodgers series, but, I mean, like, he's been really good in this series. And other than that, I mean, like, you know, like, Will Smith has been, like, pretty automatic yeah he has yes he has will smith baby your boy your boy will smith i mean (laughs) uh, you know you know for all the for all the heartburn and you know years of my life that he took off with some of those uh performances in september uh at the same time he's you know he's done really really well this postseason and like obviously the three guys that you mentioned were kind of the story of tonight uh particularly the situation that kyle reich got thrown into to start the game but i mean yeah yeah it's it's this was a this was a really really stressful game, and uh, you know to see them come back and win it the way they did was pretty wild. Yeah, it's uh, well said. Let's just say. Um, so, as I said, we'll get into everything, and that means some stuff that's not like super fun to talk about. But we'll get into anyway because that's what we do. Um, and the first thing is what happened at the top of this game. So, uh, Dylan Lee starts. I have to be honest. I said this last night with Scott. I will always tell everybody what I'm thinking. Before it happens, I write it down on purpose, and I have to say, I was not terribly bothered by the decision to start Don Lee. Um, I will say this, leaving last night on the podcast, we talked about it, like, Snicker, the only thing that he gave away last night was that it's gonna, it was going to be an opener. He said he said the word opener on the uh, on the post game, So that kind of meant to me that it wasn't going to be Kyle Wright or Drew Smiley or Tucker Davidson. It was going to be a reliever. Uh, and I thought it might be Jesse Chavez. Uh, that's the guy they've kind of used in that role when they've had a pure opener this season. Dylan Lee was an odd choice on paper. Uh, he had thrown fewer uh, appearances in the major leagues than anyone in the history of the World Series to make a start. Now, obviously, the opener is a kind of kind of a modern convention, but uh, not a lot of experience with Dylan Lee. Um, yeah, and yep. this is a tough lineup to face. So Lee had been—I actually thought had been good in his first outing in this series, but. I guess before we dive into how it all went, what what were you think? Put yourself back twenty four hours, or how, I, mean, I guess it was like twelve hours now since it was actually announced. What did you think of that at the time, and then how it unfolded from there? I didn't have particularly strong feelings about it one way or the other. I just didn't because when you're when you're like picking just a reliever just in to like start a game, you know, like it's not like particularly situational. Um, and it's kind of, you know, again, like you're not taking into like account scores and things like that. It's, it makes me feel like if whoever they chose that they have a very specific game plan and reasons as for why they do it. Now, obviously execution is a big part of this, uh, along with, you know, a cooperative home plate umpire. But in this particular case, I just felt like, you know, whoever they were going to choose, I understood the limitations that the Braves were operating under because they have two bullpen games, right? So like, do they, they probably want to use, again, I would have thought it would have been Chavez, but maybe that's maybe that's his job tomorrow, and then Tucker Davidson throws the bulk of the innings, you know, in in tomorrow's game, something like that. I, I don't, I didn't get too hung up on it one way or the other. I don't think Dylan Lee would have been my choice, but I, I'm at the point now of this postseason where I feel like if the Braves are making that decision, that they had like a specific game plan in mind to get him through that first inning. It didn't work out, 
no, at all. It did not. But, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I, I, I wasn't, like, I'm not going to, like, drag him forward or anything like that. You know, there's a whole lot of people who are, like, you know, hindsight managers tonight were like, you know, this shouldn't have ever happened. Uh, but I get at the that. same time, like, I, I really do. You know, I get oh, it. I mean, there's all, yeah. I get it. I, I try to be responsible with what we, with what I always, with what I say and, like, what I think and stuff. And, like, if I have strong feelings, I'll, I'll share them. I didn't have strong feelings. And I, I, I think that you kind of put it there well. Like, I would not have chosen No Lee. If it was my choice, I'm fine with the opener. You know, a lot of people are just kind of anti-opener. I saw a lot of that even. Like, even I have personal friends that were, like, baffled by the opener, basically. Like, why, why would you not just start Kyle Wright, basically, was a lot of the sentiment that I saw. And I get it. But, you know, the opener has been happening for a while in baseball. The Braves used it repeatedly in September. Um, it's not a new thing. I just wouldn't have picked Don Lee either, but you know, I actually feel I'm happy for Don Lee in that they didn't lose this game. Cause it will obviously be talked about a lot less now that they won this game. Um, and I, I feel like it's not, no, clearly... no, no, Brad, if, if yesterday and last night and this morning's meet, news cycle taught you anything, what? except just because the Braves <laughs> win doesn't mean that the, the, doesn't mean that the national media isn't like, I, I, I will guarantee you that at least one national outlet We'll talk about how the Braves almost lost this game because they used an opener. That that will probably happen, but uh, and I by the way we could do we could do a whole show on the last on the new oh. cycle between between game three and four. We won't Ooh. do that because it's going to be a positive podcast no. here. Oh, but, I was heated, Bradley. It was a I lot. Was it was a lot this morning and this afternoon. But I, just again, I Dylan Lee was in a tough spot today and did not pitch well. No one saying he did, but they got him out of there in a hurry. Uh, one thing that was an indicator of that it was going to be an opener and nothing else, Colorado was warming up basically as the game started. Like that, yep. You don't often see that, but given that Wright's been a starter his entire career, I'm sure he wanted a longer warm-up than a bullpen guy would have had. And quite literally, he was up, I think, during the first batter of the game. So it was not as if there was any plan to go with Dylan Lee for multiple innings. He was coming out after one inning, even if he pitched a one two, three inning, I'm pretty sure. That, so. That was- that was always going to happen. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, that that all happened. We could do more on it, but we'll, we'll leave it alone for now. Um, you know, it was a, a little bit of unlucky too. Uh, a well placed infield single by by Altuve to open to open the game might have contributed to the way that it went. Then a couple of walks, of course. That was it for Lee. He, he leaves with, with the bases loaded and one out. Kyle Wright comes in. Uh, this is the this is a crazy stat. The first time in Kyle Wright's MLB career that he has ever inherited a runner when when coming into a baseball game. So. Uh, new ground for Kyle Wright on that one. I, 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 whenever I saw that, like I had, like had the wide range of like, well, that's not that surprising. He was a starter. I'm like, well, no, he did relieve some. He like, relieved some. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like it was kind of a weird like range of uh, thoughts for me whenever I heard that. It's it not as wild. weird as you might. Th- I mean, yeah, I think you're you're closer to write about the actual effectiveness of that of that little nugget. But at the same time, like it, it's still a weird thing. He came at the bases loaded. He's not ever done that before. And he did a very good job. Uh, clearly, the entire time, and we'll definitely praise him quite a bit in a second, but the first thing he does when he comes in is get soft contact by, by Carlos Correa. It was a ground ball to give Houston the lead, but to only give up one there is huge because he strikes out Kyle, He starts, strikes out uh, Tucker to end the inning. And even if that was all Kyle Wright did in this game, it would have been like a positive night for Kyle Wright um, to not give up more than one in that spot. But uh, clearly, he, he sort of buckled in from there, uh, we'll get into that. Before we do, though, I want to just kind of laugh about the first inning real quick. Zach Greinke's on the mound for the Astros, and he actually pitched far better Ugh. than I expected. Uh, Greinke yeah. had been very bad for like a month. Yeah, the best junk baller in the league. He was definitely like. throwing junk, uh, and 
I want to bring this up real quickly. Ozzy hit right-handed against Zach Greinke in the first plate appearance. Yep. Uh, not just the first one. Yes, I, I just mean like that was when it was like kind of weird because it was clearly happening. Now, yeah. he's done this before, but only five times, I believe, ever. Uh, he went righty on righty, and he did strike out, which was kind of funny. But um, the offense was uh, not a strength <laughs> in this game, we could say. No, um, a, a lot of, especially through the first two-thirds of this game, a lot of really bad at-bats. Yeah, Greinke really, had him really had him kind of guessing a little bit, and you know we talked about with Scott last night. Like I was pretty confident in with this lineup against Greinke. The lineup has not been great in this series, but Greinke had been struggling, my, you know, mightily, and it didn't necessarily matter in this spot. We can kind of skip through like all of the back and forth and back and forth. But uh, Houston ends up. I'm sure they will lament this uh, back in uh, Astros country right now. They left seven men on base in the first three innings of this game. Um, yep. And they had one run at that point in time. Uh, Wright's only other hiccup, um, I guess, other than the home run that he allowed in the fourth, was the third, he got challenged. It was a walk and then a single, so two guys on with uh, with one out. And then they end up walking intentionally, Yuli Goriel, which is a, a thing we talked about last night as well. The, the, auto, the auto additional walk with the pitcher up is something that's, it could be advantageous if you're the one doing it instead of the other team, which happened in this spot. Greinke is a decent hitter, but uh, the Astros let him hit, which is fortunate for the Braves. He grounds out, and that's the end of that. So, I would have lost my mind because he had already singled in this game. Yes, I would have did. lost my mind. I would have lost my mind if a p- opposing AL pitcher. I mean, I know Greinke for a pitcher, he hits a lot significantly better. I would have lost my mind if he had drove in, drove in a run there, like full stop. Well, like, yeah, especially because of like the way it un- unfolded, where like it's an obvious intentional walk. Guriel's a good hitter. You have to do that because Recky's. By the way, Recky's hitting eighth in this game for the Astros. A little quirk that happened. Um, yeah, all you know, it's all scripted there to bring up the pitcher with bases loaded, and you're it's, you're in a great spot. And he hit the ball like you know in a pretty good spot. Actually, it was up the middle. It wasn't like it was a uh, a super easy play, but they made, they made the playing out of it. Um, they let right hit, which was which wasn't a shock in the third. He let he let, he let off. Um, he was pitching pretty well though. There was lots of questions about him uh, hitting for himself in that spot. Um, most of them did not come until after he allowed the home run in the fourth. Um, as soon as he allowed the, the home run to a Jose Altuve in the fourth inning, you got the barrage of why did they let Kyle Wright hit um, questions. And listen, if they had pulled him there, it wouldn't have been the weirdest thing in the world. But clearly, they got a lot of bulk from him that they were uh, hopefully I don't know if they were expecting it or not, but. Other than that one hiccup, he was really, really good, and it sort of made Snickers' decision pay off to kind of give him some more rope and not hit for him. Yeah, I mean, I certainly would have let him hit in that situation. I think that they needed the bulk. I think that knowing that they're having to do another bullpen game tomorrow, like there's just only so far you can stretch the bullpen, right? Um, and like you're going to have to have some guys that are going to have to be available to pitch multiple innings tomorrow. You know, I think they really wanted to stay away from AJ Minter, for example. And, you know, obviously guys like Tucker and, you know, Jesse Chavez are kind of guys that I think that they kind of want to employ for that first half, like, you know, that first half of the, the game. You know, they want to stay away from those guys. And, you know, just doing the math, I think that they really wanted and ultimately needed you know, right to go longer in the game. I, I didn't like, I didn't even blink at seeing him hit. You know what I mean? I understood it was a one run game and, you know, if they had pulled him, I would have been like, okay, well then, you know, the, you know, tomorrow could be really, really interesting, but I you know, letting him hit, it was fine. You know, Jose Altuve, you know, was really dialed in on this game. Like he had a really hard hit ball that Riley had him really make a really great play on uh, early in the game in the second. And then, you know, obviously hits the bomb. 
you know, has the single. I had a, <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about another hard hit ball that he hit later on in the game. Uh, but thanks to Eddie Rosario, it didn't matter all that much. But, you know, beyond that, I mean, like, Wright just looked good. His stuff was really live. And what was really refreshing is that the Kyle Wright that I'm used to and the one that I've been very critical of, even when he was in the minors, is that he can often has tremendous stuff like the first time through the order. And then it seems like he gets away from that the second time through the order and like either loses command or like tries to be really cute with kind of like, you know, spotting his pitches as opposed to just trusting his stuff. And he had moments in this game where, you know, he would give up base runners to be walks or, you know, whatever to kind of get himself in tough situations. And it just felt like he just went back to trusting his stuff his breaking stuff was just diving out of the zone. He got some really ugly swings. Like Jordan Alvarez, I think he took his soul on a strikeout <laughs> of him. I mean, you know, it was he. It was a very different pitcher than I'm used to seeing from Kyle. And you know, it wasn't perfect. It was you know because there was a certain amount of effectively wild involved in what we were seeing out of Kyle. But to get four and two thirds out of him, considering the situations he was in, and considering the lineup he was going against, I mean, like. He had been terrible in the major leagues in a very small sample this year. And, you know, surprise, here's the Astros lineup and you got to, you know, go almost five against them and to do what he did. Like that was, that was big time. And, you know, I, I don't know exactly what the future is for Kyle going forward, but I'm certainly have higher hopes for him after tonight's appearance as opposed to before. Yeah, he pitched great. I mean, we talked about it, sort of teased it, but we'll just settle it all now. You know, he throws four and two thirds. He was charged with one earned run. It was the home run to Altuve. Um, and essentially just did everything you, that you, you possibly could ask for from Kyle Wright. I, I know people wanted yep. him to start, and there were lots of questions. And honestly, I, I just kind of opined before the game started that there was a lot of confidence in Kyle Wright I was seeing that I, I'm not sure yeah, was founded, was to be honest. Yeah. Like, he looked great. He, he, made, and he looked great in the first appearance. No question about that. But he had been really bad this year. Like, very, very bad. And he threw he, he one did, great inning. He, looked, he did look good in Gwinnett. He did. I, I, I understand. I mean, but the thing is, he's done yeah, that. it's, it's not happened, that's it's happened not. before. I mean, he's done this before. It's oh, I'm, oh, reaching to the converted. There I know you that. know. Yeah. I just, it's just, it's very. Uh, I guess those people were right. I'm not saying they were wrong. It just, it struck me that there was like a lot of Colorado optimism coming in after that one appearance, and it worked out great. I mean, clearly he they rode him in this game. You mentioned it. He did, he did allow eight base runners in four and two thirds, which is not the formula that you want to follow. Like that's you know, almost two per inning and that's going to get you beat a lot of the time, but he made big pitches. I mean, his stuff really played up. Um, and even when you include Dylan Lee, who we know was not great, getting five innings of two run ball out of those two guys combined is excellent. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you win the game, but it kept you right there. They were obviously losing the game at that point in time, but as we saw later on, keeping the margin small is enormous. And every every run counts so much at this level that if you could just keep it where it was, and I, I, we use this hypothetical all the time, but Eric, if I tell you blind coming into the night that two guys who are not part of the core, even if you remove the names of Lee and Wright, if I just say, okay, it's not Minter, it's not uh, Jackson, it's not Matic, it's not Smith, and I say two guys combined for five innings of two-run ball to start the game. You have to take it, right? I mean, I think you think you'd have to. You, you take it every single time. Every single time. And, you know, like, you know, the journey to how you get there 
becomes irrelevant at that point because well, right? It's know, a small the, sample size. And, and, the thing is, we're, we're all processed and, guys here, but it's all small. It's, this is it's a small small sample size time now. And it's, I would have especially not have guessed it if I also knew what the strike zone looked like in this game, because <laughs> for for it was really it was really tight. I mean, like the the calls, like all the close calls, it seemed like that they were called balls, and there were even some like like pretty egregious ones that like that that like that was just a strike and they just didn't get called the gap between no, last it, night and tonight was very very strange oh, yes yeah it was it was quite it was quite large uh very interested to see the umpire scorecard for tomorrow uh it seems like i say that every day now because there's, it seems to always be an adventure but you know considering like the kyle Wright that we know right and then D- Dylan Lee, like he got squeezed too to give up that many base runners and to only get two runs yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that'll work just fine, you know? Like, And especially against this Houston team, which is... I can't stress enough. I think that, you know, their performance the last couple of games, really three of the four games in the series, really, now that I kind of think about it, there's only one inning where the Astros' offense has been good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the Astros' offense legitimately is probably better than the Dodgers'. I don't think that they're as deep in terms of their bench and all that other stuff. No, I mean, but the number back you up. But the regular line, I mean, the numbers are, they're just better. Now, I mean, like, you know, there's the DH versus the, you know, with, you know and all that stuff. I mean, like, being able just to run out Jordan Alvarez and not to put him in the field, which became relevant later in this game. Um, you know, it's not the, <laughs> it, it's, it's not easily com- comparable, but at the same time, like, what this pitching staff has been able to do against this Astros lineup, particularly... Again, Dylan Lee, you know, with, you know, making his first appearance, you know, or first start, I guess, is the best, is the better way to say it, um, in the World Series against the top of that lineup. Is it unfortunate that, you know, what happened? Yeah, but then Kyle Wright comes in and does what he does against this lineup. I mean, you just, it's, it's hard to overstate just how important that was for this team. And all these missed opportunities, I tweeted early in the game, like, you know, the Braves have to capitalize because you. This is a, a lineup that does not very often, at least, not cash in anything. It just doesn't. And no, you know, it, it took a while, but the Braves ended up getting there. For sure. I mean, there's a discussion to be had about just how crazy it is that the Astros have done this little. And and obviously, there's some credit to the Braves in there um, for pitching lights out. And the Dusty Baker, even as we're talking now, gave an interview. Uh, we you know, sort of from the, from the podium tonight talking about how the Braves have just pitched them great. And it's true. The Braves have pitched very well. And also, I mean, the Astros have just kind of not done much with this lineup, which unquestionably was the best in baseball this year. Like basically every metric across the board, they were awesome, but it hasn't mattered so, so far. So anyway, we can uh, get into all of that stuff. And uh, I guess we will get into uh, all of the fireworks in the sixth and seventh innings, um, which I think the underrated one of Austin Riley in the sixth, which we'll, which, which we'll sort of circle here in a second. But before we get into that and look ahead to game five, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, again, I say hopefully a pivotal game five. Um, before we get into all of that, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Eric. I sort of mentioned it a second ago before the break, but I think... One of the lost things of this game was the Braves getting a run in the sixth. Um, that's very yep. obvious, and you know every run counts in a low-scoring game. Uh, game, but when you know the legend Eddie Rosario ropes a double to right field as he continues to pad his pockets on free agency that's coming up, um, and then Austin Riley with with an RBI single to drive in a run. Yes, they could have they could have tied it. They had a couple of guys in scoring position in that inning. So it, on, on some ways it was disappointing almost that they didn't score more than once, but getting that one, making it a one-run game, uh, obviously paid dividends in a game that was won by exactly one run. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It just felt like that the, up until then the Braves' offense was just non-existent. And it wasn't just like, you know, you know guys, you know, Granky making big pitches in big spots. He certainly did that. But at the same time, like this felt like the Braves hitters were lost, and just felt like there wasn't much energy in the stadium. There wasn't much energy coming out of the dugout. Uh, it just felt kind of like a, a game that could have very easily where they could like slept walk, and all of a sudden it's the ninth inning, and you know the like desperation kicks in. But you know Eddie Rosario, apparently he's you know the best hitter in baseball now, which I'm perfectly fine with him adopting that mantle in the World Series. That's fine. Uh, you know he hits the double. Eddie, you know Freddie walks. You know, they bring in uh, Maton and uh, Austin, you know, gets the RBI single. And all of a sudden, like, the energy level overall increases a whole bunch. They end up loading the bases. And Travis Darno had a particularly brutal game. He just kept coming up <laughs> in these big spots. Yeah. And he just, he, like, look, I know he's been hot in this series, so I'm not going to dog him too much. I mean, through the first three games, he's been one of the Braves' best hitters, if not the best hitter. But... He's only this allowed to hit when, when, it, when it's Scott and I, Eric. Apparently, because you know, you and I famously kind of decried how how bad oh, he had it's been true, on the it? last podcast, and the last two in between us, he had great games. And then that, now, now that you're back, I think it's, it might be your fault. So uh, he's going to hit tomorrow, is what you're saying? Perhaps he might hit tomorrow. But no, uh, he was. I think he was the only brave to not reach base at all, and it was like, some high profile moments too. That, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but the Braves inability to handle the running game defensively at all in the playoffs has been it hasn't bitten them obviously because they're in this position but I think Darno I think the stat is that Darno is 0 for 17 throwing out runners in the, in the playoffs he, uh, he only threw out two he only threw out two guys in the regular season so I, th- I think he's like two for two. 50 or something like that so yeah, far it's, this year it's, it's like two for 40 something I think yeah it is a it's jarringly a, it's, bad it's real... exercise yep. and also uh the last couple have been like errors as well like They've gone like guys have gone to third, and it hasn't bitten them again. But uh, not to pile on Darno, who we did praise uh, a lot last night. But not, not, not with Tyler Matzik on the mound. I think both of them actually have been with Tyler Matzik on the mound, and he will not be denied. And thank God he's good at baseball. But yeah, um, anyway, that, that was that'll do it for the short pile on Travis Darno hour. But he had been great the last two games, so clearly no shade. But it was not a good night for him overall. Um, all right, the seventh inning, Tyler Matzik does Tyler Matzik things. So that's kind of just a breezy segment. Um, and then the big, the two big swings, and as I said at the very, very top of the podcast, like, you know, fun facts for days on these two. But Dansby, homers to tie the game, and I'm getting uh, actually Tommy Poe, friend of the podcast, uh, decided to bump this. 
I, I'm getting like this weird credit for this, which is not not really worth it. Um, I mentioned that he had a pretty encouraging swing on a previous plate appearance, where like it ended up it ended up being an out, but I thought it was his best swing in a while. Dansby's been very bad in yeah. the playoffs, but it was a good swing. Line. And yeah, the line the line drive out. Yeah, yeah the line good. drive out to left field. Like he, it was a good swing. Um, and listen, it's it's a one off, but the fact that he then homers later in the game and it was crazy. Even within that that plate appearance and. Uh, he looked terrible on the first two pitches. Sliders that just like he's looked really bad at times in these playoffs. The numbers were brutal. He had a forty WRC plus in the playoffs coming into tonight, and forty is like pitcher level bad. Um, but it doesn't matter when you homer for the, for the first time in seventy five plate appearances. By the way, Chris I, Watson, I can't believe I can't believe they threw him a fastball like it was insane. Like that's just the. It's like the one thing that Dansby like can and will turn on, especially you know, after the first two pitches. All the time. Like, yep. with the way he looked earlier in that plate appearance, to, for him to get a fastball in the zone there with two strikes, I just I don't understand it. But hey, it worked. Yeah, I mean, can't complain. Uh, Dansby put a really good swing out, an opposite field home run too. You know, that, that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but he put a real charge in that one. Usually on those fastballs, he like kind of turns up and pulls them into the bullpen, but like he he went he hit the ball the other way, but you know got enough on it to get it you know into those metal seats over there, and all of a sudden, game's tied, everyone's feeling good, and then um, Jorge Soler uh, with a with a slight assist to Jordan Alvarez, who I you know, yeah I'm not. <laughs> I am not confused at all that he should be a designated hitter and not an outfielder. Well, uh, and that and that, that we, he... we did talk about it at one point um, about how that was the calculation that Houston was making to play their worst defensive outfield. Basically, they're playing they're playing Alvarez with Tucker and Brantley, and Brantley's pretty bad too at this point. And they're playing two guys in the corners that are not good, and, and Tucker's like a pretty good corner guy, but not a great center fielder. Um, and Alvarez is you know famously a DH only, basically. Uh, somebody did make this point. I think we're, you were probably going there now about whether he could have or maybe should have caught that baseball. And clearly, it's a home run, so you can't just be like, "It should have caught it." It went over the fence. But um, one note that I actually I asked that question hypothetically, and somebody was like, "Doesn't he play super deep?" And he he does play very deep, but he's also very tall. So maybe it wouldn't have been such an easy easy ish play for somebody playing at a normal depth that wasn't six five or whatever he is. But it did feel like that was um, about as much of a likelihood to be caught as a home run could be. It was that low fence in that area. It barely cleared the fence. He was already kind of back there when it happened. So it's a home run, and it was a rope as well, which has to be noted. Like, Solar only hits ropes. I know we've talked about that a number of times. But, I mean, does should that have been caught? I have no idea. So the problem here is that it was kind of a line drive home run, and yes. it got out in a hurry. So if a right fielder is playing normal depth or even a little deeper, like he's not necessarily back there to make the play. I think that if like obviously if, if like a competent outfielder if they're back there, they have time to set up and then jump. I think they catch it, which means a good a good right fielder, a good left fielder rather catches yeah. it. But it doesn't I, really I matter, obviously. It, it, but... it, no, no, it doesn't. It, it doesn't at all. I mean, but that thing was a rope, and the problem is is that. You know, you have to be, you have to get to the fence in time to actually be able to make the jump to get it. Um, it was definitely low enough. Uh, now, what Alvarez did was neither. Uh, he kind of <laughs> was there because he, you know, he was he was playing so deep uh, just because that's like he just needs to make sure the ball stays in front of him. Uh, and then he just kind of sort of ran into the fence and like I don't think his glove was even like up in the air like to try to make a play. He was just like all of a sudden it became like self preservation because 
it was it was it was pretty ugly. If you watch it, it's pretty brutal. And I think he might have hurt himself too. Uh, and that's that's something that might actually be really relevant because while he's a god awful outfielder, you know, <laughs> he's one of their best one of their best hitters, and he seemed really banged up on that play and did not look good in his at bat in the ninth. So I wonder if he's banged up, like, you know, banged up his ribs or something like that, which, you know, he hasn't been a huge factor in this series, but something worth monitoring is to kind of whether or not he's kind of banged up and like, you know, make some, you know, maybe that's something that the Braves could possibly take advantage of later on. Oh, sure. I mean, and he was the ALCS MVP and has been incredible in the playoffs until this series. And you're right. He's not been great in the series, but um, Solaire's home run was only the fourth pinch hit go-ahead homer in World Series history and the first in almost 30 years um, since Ed Sprague against the Braves in 92. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was about to say, do you remember who it was? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't remember until I saw the fun fact, and then as soon as I saw the name, I, I you know I remember that definitely happening. World Series MVP, MVP oh, I Lord. believe. Um, yeah. I, I, think that, I think that's what happened. No bad yeah. vibes, Eric. No bad vibes now. We're going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it, obviously that was a huge swing. The back to back, we could talk about the, those two swings all day long. I, one final thing: Did you see the uh, the angle of Soler in the on deck circle watching Dansby's home run? That was that it was, was great so video. good. Yeah. It, <laughs> the, slow, the, the slow down version where it's you know like the slow motion one that was my favorite. The realization, oh yeah, it was good. He's like that ball's gone, and then uh, and then he thought I'm going to go hit one of those as well. Um, at any rate, that all happened. Two huge swings, and the game's not over. I mean. There was lots of justifiable celebrating, but they had to get six more outs at that point. Um, Luke Jackson comes in because they used Matzik in the seventh. Luke comes in with a clean inning, gets two quick outs. And then the aforementioned Eddie Rosario catch, an unbelievable play by him. Uh, it didn't like save Defense a run first. directly because there was two outs and nobody on, so maybe they get out of it anyway. But I don't even know if he saw it. Let's be honest. Did he see, did he see that baseball? I mean, he saw it for when it was in flight. I he definitely turned around. I like it was backhand too. Like I, I have no idea. I could be convinced he didn't see it. I'll say that. that. That's that's about as far yeah, as I'll go for now. He, I can be convinced. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll say that he took his eye off of it for sure because he was definitely looking at the wall when that ball was caught. One million percent. Now he might have like gone, okay. I think the ball's here, and then just stuck his glove out, which I suspect is what happened. But you know, look, sometimes you need a defense first left fielder, and that's what you got. I mean. Eddie Rosario has made multiple catches of his life in this postseason. We've seen it. Yeah, like, I mean, and... he's such a weird fielder because, you know, he's not – objectively, he's not he's not great out there. He's got a good arm. He's got, like, some great arm numbers, like his, his throw – his you know, his assist percentage, all this stuff. He has really good, like, multi-year throwing stats in left field or in corner outfield spots. But, like, I don't think anybody thinks he's a great outfielder. He's not. Well, he, he Alvarez. He's kind of like. But. Well, he can be kind of like. It's almost like the his aggressiveness like outplays his tools. You know what I mean? Like he, like you, you can tell he's like constantly. He he plays with high energy out there. It's not like a, he doesn't move well out there, but you know sometimes he tries to make plays that he shouldn't, and the results are bad. Oh, he, he, uh, also, kind of, also we should mention that according to TBS, he's one of the fastest players in baseball. So that probably helps in the outfield oh. as well. Sorry, um, I, I have that, that joke will never die. I, uh, just disturb my uh, no, it, oh no, and the broadcasts continue. <laughs> like Smoltz seemed genuinely upset that that ball that Solaire's home run didn't get caught. Uh, yeah, just, there, like, there's a whole there's a whole Smoltz uh, discourse. Like you know, this is a thing that's happened a lot in at, in various levels where like 
a, a an announcer is like tied to an organization like very directly, but has to call their games, and they almost go f- too far the other way. Um, like Frank Corr had this happen to a lesser extent in the previous round, where he's now calling a national game on the team he covers every day, and it's like he has to be cognizant to not be you know homerific. Then, 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 then what was Ron Darling doing? Well, that's what I, and that's the thing. So anyway, there's a whole there's a whole discourse about like what could happen there. Uh, I know people are not loving Smoltz. I, I totally understand. Um, but yeah, it's, that, that was a weird situation that was called kind of strangely overall. But Rosario's catch, man, was just just an insane play and kind of indicative of this entire run. Like, they're just yep, running hot. Destiny. Yep, just stick that glove out. They're running hot right now. Things are breaking their way. It's obviously uh, awesome to see and awesome to consume. Also, Sarah Langs at MLB.com does a great job with all the stats and numbers and stuff. Sarah is very good and should be following Twitter. Um, and read her stuff as well. But she said via Statcast that that ball would have been a home run in 26 ballparks, including Minute Maid Parks. So skeptical, very skeptical. I, I'm actually not. I think that actually is a. You really think so? I mean, maybe not gone, but I think that goes off the wall like most places. I mean, that that's a pretty. Well, it's, yeah, it's a, no, it's a no, pretty no, no, long outfield like actually in that spot it, for the, uh, at Truist. It's not. It's definitely a hit. The shortest it's a hit. Porch. I'm not saying that. But. Yeah, no, I, I get. It. I mean, Statcast, you can't like take it as like absolute gospel all the time on that kind of stuff. But if you watch it, in that area of Truist is not shallow compared to a lot of parks. I do think that it was gone at okay. at Minute Maid. Of course, that's like an outlier ballpark in some respects to left field. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think it was gone. Fun. I mean, if that if that ball happens, you know, three days ago, it's probably gone. I think so. Anyway, one of the least put that out there. It was reported. So, um, bottom of the eighth. <laughs> I wanted to make just make fun of this real quick. It doesn't it didn't really matter, but Ozzy drew a walk against Presley, which was very unlikely. Presley is uh, very good and also a, a good control guy. And Ozzy never walks, so I thought it was notable that he uh, that he let off with a walk there. It didn't especially, matter, but especially, especially after Presley ate Freddie and uh, Rosario's lunch um, in the when he in the first two outs, the bottom of the seventh. Oh he, yeah, he, like Presley, Presley looked really good, <laughs> and I was like, when he came back out, I was a little bit surprised, uh, and I guess that's kind of an important. That was yeah, that him. was weird actually. I mean, not not too weird in that they were only down by one, so you want to hold it there, but Presley through I think like 35-ish pitches and he's not he usually a, a guy that throws that many so I don't know if he'll be unavailable tomorrow because it's, it's they're playing for their lives if you're the Astros but that's good news even in a vacuum for the Braves is having Houston's like clear number one reliever um, if not unavailable he'll be I would imagine he'll be limited I can't imagine him throwing more than one inning tomorrow I mean after this after this outing like maybe maybe he'll yeah. try it's the World Series but he'll be taxed yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm very curious. The, the 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 pitching plan for the Astros tomorrow is a a fascinating one because you know they're they're you know they've announced Framber, uh, but the Braves really beat up on Framber the first time up and he didn't look good. So I I kind of wonder like how they're going to handle you know their bullpen decisions. It's kind of like you know are they going to be like a really quick hook and then they're going to like bring their like higher lev- higher leverage guys in early to try to keep the game close early or I mean if I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a weird situation for me to kind of evaluate, just because I mean they're in a very similar spot to what the Braves are in, but somehow the Braves have positioned themselves to be in a better spot despite being down a starting pitcher. I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Yeah, I mean we'll get into it, but Game Five is lots of questions, but they're not in a bad spot pitching wise, especially when they were able to hold back Minter tonight, like not pitching at all. That's very helpful as a guy who's thrown multiple innings at times in the past. 
um, having that weapon available, having you know basically everyone available short of uh, short of right that's in your bullpen tomorrow, you'd imagine. So, yeah, lots to get into there as well. Uh, before we, I guess we'll close this thing out now. Uh, William Michael Smith, Eric, another, another one, two, three inning. Will Smith has now thrown 10 scoreless in the playoffs. Just saying, Will Smith, 10 scoreless. Do you, do you, do you want to hear my tinfoil hat conspiracy? I would love to. You're right, you're right. You're right. Michael Brantley. Okay. Point shaving? Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, that'd be, that'd be, that, that's the next level. <laughs> I'm kidding. I think that there, there was a rumor, uh, even when, like, when Smith, when Smith was struggling in September, that he was tipping his pitches, right? I think the Braves figured out what his tells were, and now he's purposely replicating them to get positive results. And I think Brantley was convinced on that, that called strike three because like that fastball, like it was pretty well located, but that's a pitch that Michael Brantley usually does something to. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, it was a very meaty fastball, like yeah. especially three, especially three, two, you don't see a take like that from a hitter like but, Michael Brantley, who's like, like Brantley is like known for being a great approach guy. Yep. He does not just take a fastball. I won't say it was middle middle, but it was certainly in the heart of the plate. Uh, yep. And that's just a weird. I it was a weird was, thing. I think he was convinced, convinced <laughs> that that was going to be a slider that dove out of the zone. And like he looked, the look on his face was such where it was like he felt like he had been lied to. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying, listen, like, I, like, I love I love this not, theory. I don't know if it's true, but I love it. I think I think it's great. I mean, like I I, I it just it was. It was too much, like, he's like, I can't believe that just happened. You know what I mean? Like, they told me something else was going to happen. Or, you know, I saw something that that meant a slider was coming, and then it didn't come. I'm I'm not saying that's the case. But when I saw it, I was like, he looks like a guy who is, like, dead set on nev- never swinging in that bat because he knew that it was going to be a slider outside. I love it. I absolutely love this theory. I, I believe. I, I think I almost believe it now. I think you sold I mean, me. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just, I'm just... <laughs> and uh, I mean, obviously, Smith's been... foil hat. No, I, I dig it. And Smith's been so good in these playoffs, and we were knocking on wood and joking around, but uh, it's been, a, it's been a huge help. And we, we can get into it now quickly. Uh, the night shift has just been ridiculous. Uh, the total numbers in this game, and obviously you include Chris Martin, even he's not quite on the night shift. I don't, I don't think, but uh, he has been good in the past and was good in this game. Four scoreless from Martin, Matzik, Jackson, and Smith. Only two hits allowed, and they got to hold back Minter. And even Chavez, who I think they kind of trust, um, did not pitch at all in this game. That's very, very nice to have when you have to pitch them all tomorrow. Um, and then Kyle Wright, who we talked about, by the way, uh, Snicker said, and I think this is actually a pre-encouraging uh, and revealing quote. I'm not even sure if you saw it yet. Um, Snicker kind of admitted, this is per Joe Patrick, friend of the podcast, um, Joe passes along that Snicker said that, um, quote unquote, we talking about the Braves have contributed to some of Kyle Wright's struggles in the majors because of the way they've kind of have, had him like up and down and up and down and kind of yanked him around basically. And he said that it was important for him to pitch in one place for the whole season this year in Gwinnett and get some innings and, and some success. So I know I have been critical at times. I think you may have been as well of kind of the way they've handled some of these young guys in particular, Wright And, uh, maybe even, you know, Wilson back when he was around and, um, I was encouraged by that quote because it has frustrated me at times. And I'm not even, you know, obviously you are way more dialed into the minor league stuff than I am, but uh, I've been frustrated with how they handled some of the young guys in the past. And I thought that was a cool quote. 
Yeah, uh, I couldn't. I mean, the Braves were put in some pretty tough spots, though, with their starting pitching at times uh, when it comes to injuries or guys just not performing. I mean, just look at what happened in the 2020 season. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there was just... Was that weird at all, no 2020, as a, as a year? Well, I mean, the, the, well, other than the fact that the, the you know the, the season was... But, like, there's, they basically just didn't have a rotation forever, and they were just desperately trying a whole bunch of different things. They had issues in 2019 with, you know, whether it be injuries or, you know, not being able to get, you know, get guys going, and, you know, that resulted in them having to try a lot of different things. I do think that they kept moving Kyle right up at a high rate of speed throughout the system when I don't think it was necessarily justified. Uh, I think that, you know pumping the brakes a little bit on him would have been better for him, especially kind of, you know, like learning to kind of be a starter and how to pitch the second and third time through the order and, and things like, and just kind of managing man, you know, runners on base and all this other stuff. And I've, I've, I've said that a lot on road to Atlanta. I've said it a lot on here. So like, I don't want to feel like I'm piling on him, but at the same time, you know, like guys develop at their own speeds. And just because a guy was drafted as high as he was, and he was a college arm doesn't mean you need to, you know, like strap a rocket to his back and just shoot him through a system either. So I, I, I am glad that they are acknowledging that, that that probably wasn't the correct way to handle him. Uh, I remain, I will believe <laughs> Kyle Wright as a starter when I see it for more than one outing at oh, time. Oh, clear. Because I mean, Kyle, Kyle Wright had a good had a good postseason start last year. He did, and everyone's like, "Wow, maybe Kyle Wright's finally figured it out," and then he didn't. So, and then we've seen him have good second halves in Gwinnett before. No, this this does not this does not mean that he's suddenly going to be this guy all the time and be awesome. Yep. Um, at the same time, it's a heck of a, a heck of an outing on a, on a huge stage. Oh, yeah. and they oh, had well, to have they, it. And you know, we're we're also, we're not always the narrative podcast, but it was uh, it was very cool to see a young, a young guy there like thrust into duty in a weird circumstance, coming in with the bases loaded. Uh, in the first inning of a World Series game and having to get out of that and then pitching almost five innings, like just a crazy outing from him. To only give a one run there. He almost got the double play, though. That ball had been hit a little harder. He did. It yeah, it was, uh, it was a heck of a like, job. That would have been wild. There were there were winners all around uh, on this night. Um, as we look ahead to Game 5 and beyond, this is kind of a bridge question, so I'll, I'll go to it here. What did you think of starting Jock Peterson in this game? Um I think the explanation to except that there was one was that he has good numbers against Zach Greinke lifetime in 30 plate yep. appearances. And also, you know, it's, it's lefty righty, but I would just note that he did not start him yesterday against a righty. So it wasn't just lefty righty. Um, and you know, Soler ends up sitting and hitting a pinch hit home run. So it all worked out in the end, but uh, I guess the way to answer this would be they're throwing Valdez tomorrow. Um, you know, Fran, Fran Mayer is uh, not exactly uh, the same kind of pitcher. As uh, as Zach Cranky, in that he's a, <laughs> there, there. There is no other Zach Cranky. No, and, and he's he's also he's also a lefty. So I, I'm assuming it'll be it'll just be, it'll just be Solaire back in there again. Um, but did you did you mind it not being Solaire in this game? Obviously, again, it worked out. But did what, did you care I'm, about that when it happened? I'm I'm going to be honest here, and I understand the problems with this arrangement. I would have sat Duvall and played Jock and Solaire. Yep. I would have played Jock and Setter. I now, mean, I understand I that it's it. not an ideal. I understand that it's not a good defensive alignment. Let's be clear about that. No, it's not. I understand. No. But I don't think the Braves seem to care that much about defensive alignments in their outfield anyway, right now. And the way Duvall's at bats have been very brutal. I think that your best offensive alignment is those three guys right now. Oh, but I think there's I no question about their offense being that because, you know, Duvall's not dialed in. 
Although, you know, tomorrow they're facing a lefty. I think there's no way he's not yeah, winning the ball. Yeah, yeah um, he'll stay in. But, yeah, there's, you know, there's that trade-off between defense and offense. And, you know, quite honestly, you could maybe make the argument that you're almost better playing Heredia than, than the current version of Duvall, the way he's been hitting. Now, you, you don't know that to be the case because Duvall's a hot and cold guy. But, you know, the defensive upgrade from Duvall uh, versus, you know, Jock and center is, is notable. But if he's going to go for four every night or whatever, it won't really matter all, all that much. Um, anyway. Short answer, short answer to your question. I don't mind playing Jock because he did have good numbers against Granke. And Solaire's numbers weren't so hot. Very small sample there. Yeah, I, don't, um, I just don't care about I don't my, care. It's 30 plate appearances. I just don't care. I, and I get it. I get 30 plate appearances is more indicative against if it's one pitcher. I, I do understand that. But he was, I think he was nine for, it wasn't like he's 18 of 30 against Granky and just like owns the guy forever. Like he had good numbers, but I don't know if I'd make that decision based on that. Again, it worked out because Soler had one swing of the bat and it was a good one. But, you know, process wise, I didn't didn't like love it. I didn't hate it either though. I can can see that for sure. Okay. Uh, Game five, bullpen game. We don't know at this moment what is going to happen with the Braves in terms of opener slash starter. Uh, Last night, Snicker did not give up anything away, and then they waited a long time on Saturday before naming Dylan Lee. So if he follows that that blueprint again, uh, we, may, we may not know until Sunday afternoon who's going to start the game. Um, Dylan Lee was interviewed tonight and said, uh, and I quote, I know I'm a reliever now, end quote, <laughs> which is a great quote from did Dylan you, Lee. Did, no, did you see the quote from, from uh, Snicker about Rosario's catch? Something like, uh, they wouldn't teach that uh, in terms of... Uh, <laughs> They're not showing that. They're not showing that video at instructional leagues. Yeah, I mean it's it's true. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's it's an out. It's an out in the uh, in the scorebook. But no, I, you know bullpen wise, I don't know what they're going to do. People are people are already asking me and us. They're tagging us in tweets and what are they going to do? Who's going to start Game Five? And I, I I truly don't know. If I, I ha, if I had to guess, if they use an opener, I would guess it will, it will either be Chavez or Minter. Um, I don't know which one, yeah. but. And and honestly, they it, would it would it stun you, Eric, if they just said Drew Smiley starting tomorrow? It wouldn't stun me if they said Tucker Davidson starting. Or that, yeah. I mean, they have options. So like someone that's yeah, I mean, something some, like you know, they, they don't seem to have any issues whatsoever in saying, you know what, we don't think the Astros have information on this guy. Go get him, kid. So <laughs> go get him. Uh, yeah, you know, uh... <laughs> I, I can imagine the t- look on Tucker's face if they told him that he was starting. Um, uh, pretty much, I imagine pretty much the same look was on Dylan Lee's face when he found out he was starting the game today. So, uh, I would imagine yeah. so. Yes. Um, yeah. just to run it down, like in terms of options. So you could go with a quote unquote traditional starter. And if you do that, your options are Smiley and Davidson. Um, yep. if you don't do that and you go with an opener, um, maybe a bolt guy, or not a bulk guy. You could, I mean, Chavez didn't pitch tonight. Um, neither did Minter of the guys who, and plus, plus Smiley and Davidson. Um, I, I think I would guess that everybody's available tomorrow. I mean, I know guys have pitched two days in a row, but given the stakes uh, and yeah. Matic's quotes from last night about the night shift being ready, uh, I think I would expect everyone to be at least available for maybe an inning. I doubt they're going to want to push guys like, Matzik and Luke to do more than an inning tomorrow would be my guess. Sure. Um, 
Matic in particular is just thrown like every day, basically for two weeks. Yeah, I think I, I think it's twelve or fourteen postseason games. Yeah, so maybe maybe be careful with him. Um, but yeah, I think they're going to keep sticking this thing. They have a day off after that. Um, I got I, we got a question about like whether Ian would be available. I would guess not on that. Uh, they want to keep him from Game Seven, obviously. That, yeah, that, that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Dave Roberts would do it. So at least for at least at least, at least for this next game. Yeah. Dave Roberts would do it. I'm sure. Um, but they don't need to do that. I think they have enough bullpen guys. Um, yeah. If you get in a situation where you're in the 13th inning, you might have to think about it, but before then you don't, I mean, you got enough guys. I think you're fine. Um, and then, you know, Max won't pitch cause he's the, he's the guy for game six if they need game six. So, uh, could they get through, I, mean, I, I guess I'm going to ask you this. Could they get through the game tomorrow without using a like a bolt guy, like in the, in the right role today? So, could they do it without a guy going more than two innings tomorrow? No, I don't think so. Uh, but I will say it's not outside the realm of possibility that AJ Minter could do that. So okay, yeah, I was going to follow that up with like, could I guess Minter would be the logical guy to do more than two innings, other than other than Davidson or Smiley, um, right? And then maybe Chavez would be the next like next most likely guy. Maybe maybe he can go maybe, maybe he can go two uh, since he didn't, uh, he didn't pitch I, today. I, I think. I think he's capable of throwing that many pitches. I do not think he's that capable of being successful enough against the Houston Astros offense. Yeah, that's to a good get point. That. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what Stitt's going to do, and I, I think it's actually smart to not say anything the way they did today. Now you could argue yep. like how big of an advantage that actually is. Probably not a huge one, but I, I know I got I got texts from people that do not follow the Braves closely, who are baseball people, like national people that follow the sport that were basically like who the bleep is Dylan Lee. Like, and they're not, and they're not like casual people. Like, and it, it threw a lot of people for, for a loop today when they announced that. Um, it won't be quite that weird tomorrow. I don't think when it's somebody that we have probably heard of a little bit more nationally, but uh, there's a little bit of, you know, 1% edge to not saying anything. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, I have no issues whatsoever. Yeah, and then Valdez for Houston. He's he's a good pitcher. We talked about this. Like he was not good in the first start. You know, I, you can't treat him like he's bad now because the Rays got to him a little bit in that first outing. And Houston's clearly, you know, goes without saying, but they now have no margin for error. So Dusty has to manage this thing like the season's on the line. Um, the Braves will too, but there's a little bit of a difference clearly in urgency levels. Uh, you know, you could see the Astros throwing guys that. Um, they may they might want to save, but probably just can't save. And the Braves can be a little bit more judicious if they want to be, but they won't be, I don't think. I mean, I think it's all situational. It's kind of how the first few innings play out. It is. If I'm just being honest about it, you yeah. know, if the if the if the Braves go up six nothing in the third inning, you know, the the calculus on both sides changes pretty quickly. And but, you try to put it know. away. I mean, with, with a day off the next day, you know, Snickers said multiple times that he's treating every game like it's like it's an independent game, not not worrying about the next day. With a day off after this, you can do that again. You don't have to really think about saving guys. Um, the only calculus, again, is like maybe you can't throw Matic for two innings because he's thrown every day. But other than that, I think everybody's basically going to be available. If, okay, this is the this is the time of the podcast, Eric, when I, when I make you uh, give your opinion. Uh, going into the game, knowing that it could change with every little thing, and that's probably an underrated factor, is just how flexible this stuff has to be because of baseball happening and how un, un, and how sort of uncertain it all is but um if i gave you free reign to make a pitching plan um at least for the beginning of tomorrow's game 
game game five, what would you want to do at the beginning? AJ Minter starter for as long as he can go. For as long as he can go. I don't hate it. I mean, he's he's good. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think he's good. I think he would. He's the, like the best option to not let the Astros jump all over them early. Uh, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen because, again, I, I can't stress this enough. This Astros lineup is really good. I don't care what the numbers have in this series have looked like. I just don't, uh, and I respect them a lot. And I think that if you that this gives the Braves a lot of options if doing it that way. Uh, if they like, you know, if it doesn't work out, then you can still go with your bolt guy. Uh, you like and like Minter doesn't have to go three innings, right? Like if, for whatever reason, if Houston like figures them out or he just doesn't have it that day, then you can just go with your bolt guy and you kind of treat him as the traditional opener anyway, uh, and then he can be available as normal, right? But if he can go those three innings, and the Braves also like hit Valdez well, then all of a sudden you kind of have, it kind of opens up a lot of different options that are available to you, uh, kind of for the rest of the game and and even for later in the series. So I, I like that option the best, but there's there's a lot of ways it can go. I'm not gonna be like kick. There's not. There's only a few options where I'd be like kicking and screaming. Like Ian Anderson starting tomorrow would be the one I'd be like. Well, that's, lost that's, your not, that's, not, that's not happening. I don't think. I mean, I yeah, would. You know, but you know, that, like the, the the number of things that would actually elicit that reaction from me is pretty small. That's probably the only one. I I think I would been starting. I wouldn't do Dylan Lee again. I was gonna say I would start Dylan Lee again, which they're not gonna do. Um, because you know he's the low man on the totem pole. I just don't think that they can do many things that would like really tilt me at least in terms of the pre-game plan clearly in the middle of the game yeah, for an opener yeah. there are other options uh I, I don't mind the mentor thing i think i might go chavez plus opener like chavez plus bolt guy um as my plan but i, I don't mind I, I think it's mentors pretty good as well and really it kind of depends on like how many pitches they think mentor can throw like if he can go out there and throw you three innings realistically then i like that even more uh if it's a little bit more limited it. than that, then we'll see. But yeah, he's he's he, he he look. We've we saw him do it against the Dodgers last year. He did it earlier in this series. Oh, he's capable. I I, he, mean, I, I just mean I mean physically more than anything. Like, and that's that's something yeah, that, we, that, sure. we, that we just can't know on the outside, which is why I'm always I try to understand what we what we can't possibly know. And uh, if they think he can do what he did last year, because you're right, he did he had that heroic performance last year as a, as a starter, um, and he did mention I think after. Was it a couple days ago? He said, you know, give me the ball again. Like, I like to be a starter, basically. <laughs> like, I think he thinks he's going to be a starter. Um, uh, I, I love it. So, yeah. My chip's sign, ready. Sign me up for AJ if that happens. And uh, they'll be in good shape. And, you know, em- empty the clip tomorrow. Try to win this thing in Atlanta. Um, this is the part of the podcast where I have to give you the numbers. I'm not jinxing things, everybody. I'm just presenting the numbers. I'm knocking on wood. This is why I do every podcast. It's not out of the ordinary. I promise. 538 gives the Braves an 87% chance to win the series. Fangraphs gives the Braves an 85% chance to win the series. And all-time in baseball, teams with a 3-1 lead in a seven-game series are 76-14, and 14, which is an 84% clip. So all those things, the betting market's coming in, similar range to that. Uh, clearly, the Braves did lose a 3-1 lead last year, so it's not impossible to have that done. But uh, they are a big favorite. We now know this. This is just objectively true. No jinx allowed. Um, one more stat before I hand it off to you for your final thoughts here, Eric. Uh, no team in the history of Major League Baseball has ever won eight consecutive home games in a single postseason. The Braves can do that tomorrow night. That's kind of it's it's 
the whole like they're on the verge is really kind of setting in for me. Um, and you know, this is usually the part where, you know, being a fan of the Braves and being, you know, aware of Atlanta sports is where I become terrified because of what is a very storied history. Uh, and I'll go ahead and tell you now, if people are in my mentions making 28, three jokes, one, I'm not a Falcons fan. And two, you're going to get a soft block or a hard block from me because I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so, uh, but I will say that, uh, you know, this team's playing really well. Uh, I wish the offense was playing a little better, but, you know, even when their offense hasn't been on full, full cylinders, they've, they've won two straight games with the offense not really doing a whole lot. And I don't think that that sticks. Now, the question is whether or not the Astros wake up to, but, you know, I, I tend to agree with the numbers. I think the Braves got this. Yeah, I mean, we, I, know I, I picked them in seven. I would amend that yep. at this point and pick them. I think it's something, it's like, you know, the average result of the series now is probably Braves in five and a half, if that makes sense. Because, you know, I think the yeah. game will be a coin flip. If you look at the betting market, especially the projections for only game five, I think it'll be a coin flip, basically, um, that you would see. Because they have they have Valdez, who I think um, on paper is as good as whatever the Braves could put out there. Um, and then Houston's really good. It's in Atlanta, all that stuff. Uh, but if you factor in, if you say, all right, coin flip tomorrow and then coin flip again in game six with Max Fried on the mound or even probably leaning towards the Braves, that means, on average, the Braves win one of the next two games. Uh, they have three games to win one. So clearly, I'm picking the Braves still. Uh, is it impossible that they lose? No, it's not. There's a reason why an 87% chance is not 100% chance. It's it's not a lock. But I feel good. I, I, I the, the dread has not set in for me yet. Uh, I'm sure that it will at some point. Uh, I just have too much of that in me somewhere. But listen, they're playing great. They're, they seem to be still very loose. I mean, they, the comeback tonight, it wasn't like they had to hold on for dear life in this game. They came back actively and made stuff happen at the end of this game. And it's not quantifiable, but that probably matters to me too. So anyway, I, I feel good. Um, we'll see what they do in game five. And listen, it would be something... It, it, it would be, it would be, not will be, but it would be special to win this series anywhere. But there's like that extra two percent to win it on your home field in front of your home fans. So, can you can you imagine the battery? Uh, no, I cannot. Uh, if that, <laughs> oh. listen, I will I will not I be hope, I will not be in the battery. Because you're, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be recording a podcast. Eric, if you want to go to the battery tomorrow, you're allowed. You can go. You can I'm call in. You can I'm, call I'm, in. I'm, no, no, I'm all set. I'll be here. No, I'm ready uh, for you, Brad. I'm not. But no, that, we're... that is going to be wild. <laughs> it will I mean, be. There's, there's, win there's, or lose. There's going to be 150,000 people in the battery. Well, I was uh, getting reports tonight about the battery because you know, famously, Georgia, Florida led right into the Braves game, so like everyone in the world yep. had the same idea to go to the to go to the battery at like 2:30 this afternoon and just be there all day. Um, so it was apparently just like absolutely preposterous today over there, and I'm sure it'll be the same thing tomorrow with the Falcons game. Uh, so. Buckle in, everybody. It's going to be a long day, but uh, the waiting begins now. Game uh, game five is actually the only time in the series that it's not an eight oh nine start; it's an eight fifteen start. I have no idea why, but just keep just file, file that away. It's six six minutes later, so we have, to, we have to wait six more minutes before baseball starts. Eric, if you have any final thoughts, please share them. And if not, people can find you where. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at leprechaun with a K. Uh, just make sure that you're going to the site. Uh, it's not just here at the podcast where make sure you, if you don't want to miss any episodes that you subscribe, but also go into the site, 
we're a lot of great coverage going up every single day about what's going on with the World Series right now. That's obviously what we're focused on. Uh, and as soon as the offseason gets here, we'll roll right into kind of our season wrap-up coverage and then rolling into offseason coverage and, and, you know, inevitably talking about, you know, a, a potential work stoppage and all that stuff. But <laughs> all that stuff's going to be happening. All that stuff's going to be happening over a talking shop. You know, we continue to, you know, try to avoid, you know, nonsense topics like what we had to deal with the last 24 hours or, or longer, really, uh, as opposed to actually talking about the World Series, which has been a very good one uh, with two very good teams going against each other. And we're going to continue to do that. So make sure you go to the site and check that out. Yeah, uh, I would definitely echo all that. Shouts to the entire staff for all the written content uh, led by Chris and Demetrius and yourself and many, many others. And then uh, on the podcast, thank you to Eric for joining me today and always, as well as Scott, who is probably levitating right now somewhere. I don't know where Scott is, but he's probably enjoying himself this evening. And then uh, Sean Coleman and others for contributing to the podcast as well. Please, please, please subscribe to the show. We've had a great response, so genuine thanks to everyone that's listened to the podcast this entire run. But uh, it doesn't stop now. If you subscribe, you'll always have our show, even in the off-season and during the regular season and all that fun stuff. Uh, leave five-star ratings if you enjoy the podcast, uh, reviews, and all that fun stuff. Tell a friend as well. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back again after Game 5. And, you know, hope we're all hoping beyond hope that'll be a celebratory podcast. And even if it's not, though, we'll be here. So please keep it locked, and we'll see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts.